Welcome back, everyone. I left you hanging. I hope you're not mad at me. <laughs> but it's Sunday. It's just one day later, and I am back with B of Inconceivable. We left off where she was about to open up 23andMe again, and we're going to find out what she found out next. So why did you come back to the 23andMe in July? Well, I had a friend who had was talking in a in a private group about um, that they had a match. Um, I think it was like a 14 or 15% match um, and that they thought it was a half sibling. And I was like, and I, I questioned it. I was like, wait, only 14 or 15%? Like that's a half sibling match? Like I had a, I had a match I don't know, years ago, that was like 17 or 18%. Like, and, and all my friends were like, what, what, what? Like, and I was like, I was like, yeah, like, uh, you know, I just thought it was an error. Like what's the Yeah. Like, well, I don't understand. Like clearly I wasn't paying attention in genetics. Um, so, (laughs) um, but a lot of people don't know that. Most people don't yeah, know that. You know, right. they don't. They think 18% is not that big of a deal. I mean, it just but seems it it clearly seems, what, what it they seems say. Like a really small yeah. percent when you're when you're it just does doing 23 me yeah. to figure out why you're miscarrying. You know, like again, sure. My yeah. all I thought about at that point was making sure that that baby was gonna like those our last two chances, our last two embryos. Um, I gave mm-hmm. them the best shot. Oh, P.S. Um, one of those embryos did become a person. I, I do. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I like totally missed yeah. that part. Hi. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. So after all the, all the testing and stuff and, and all, and this uh-huh. new reproductive endocrinologist and the, you know, plethora of shots she put me on and all this customization that she did for my <laughs> genetics, for my, uh-huh. like, you know, my um, recurrent miscarriage stuff. Um, yeah, it was still a very scary pregnancy. I actually got pregnant with both of the embryos, um, lost one of them very early, um, bled through the, like bled through week 21 of the pregnancy. Um, super, super scary, but, um, he's three now and he's, I I can't even, I can't (laughs) even imagine him not being a part of our family. And we are so, so lucky and so thankful to science for right. having two healthy Same, kids yeah. and we have closed our chapter and we are, um, you know, at some point I, so yeah, at some point I really wanted more kids. Like I wanted four or five kids. I was like, yes. And after going through multiple losses, um, we yeah. are, we, we were not, will, we're not willing to take any more risks. Um, I think, but yeah. out of all the losses that I did have, it just, it really, it threatened my mental health to an unhe- sure. to a really unhealthy yeah. point. And so you have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, we have magic rainbow frozen IVF <laughs> baby six and a three-year-old and they're, they're amazing. And we are just so, we are Yay. so lucky. We are so, so lucky to have them. Yeah. Um, you got to send me a picture. I want to oh see Oh my gosh. Them. They're wonderful. <laughs> so in July, 2020, you decided you're going to, you know, you hear your friends saying, that, Hey, this 18 to 22% match is kind of a big deal. You should look into that. And so that's what made you open it back up. Okay. Yeah. And then what did you find? I am matched with 12 half siblings between like 17 and 29% related 17 and 29%. Yeah. And just so people understand that are listening, it's, it didn't like say half siblings. It just shows you that percentage, right? So that's what you see. Well, no, it does. It does say, 
I, you know, I don't remember mm-hmm. how it looked five years ago, but it did, it does say now it, does. it definitely okay. says okay. half sibling match. Yeah. So what was your first thought? You see 12, what do you think? Maybe my dad donated sperm. Okay. You think he was the donor <laughs> like you had asked before? That was kind of my first like thought was like, oh, my, oh, weird. I wonder if my dad was just didn't want to tell me, you know? Um, and well, I mean, yeah. maybe that wasn't my yeah. first thought. My first thought was like, this is not an error. Like, I think my first thought was just like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you allow cursing on your podcast, but there <laughs> yes. was a lot of, there, yeah. there was a lot of like, <laughs> what the, fuck? Yeah. what the, you know, like there was just like, it was just a lot of like, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to go from being an only child to like looking at a site that's telling you, you have 12 half siblings. Yeah. Like it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard to explain. I bet that that feeling of shock and disbelief. And yeah. So I sent screenshots. I was sending screenshots to my friends. They're all freaking out. My I'm freaking out with my husband, like, um, just like, and I'm like, I'm calling my parents and because I, I mean, it's just, I, you know, there are just so many questions. Like there's just, how did this happen? Yeah. How did this happen? Did you pick up the phone right away or did you sleep on it? No, oh God, no, I did not sleep. I, like, <laughs> I am not a sleep on it person. Um, <laughs> um, no, I just, I, I immediately, I like, I mean, within probably within five minutes of like seeing the 12 half siblings, I'm, I'm on the phone, on speakerphone, like dialing my parents. Um, and I said, hi. Um, I've just locked onto 23andMe and I've matched with 12 half siblings. So I know you guys had trouble getting pregnant. Um, I know you guys did medicated cycles because mom, you and I talked about that. And I said, what the hell else did you do? Just like that? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like that. I said, what, what the hell did you do? Mm-hmm. Because I have 12 half siblings. Like, uh, you know, I mean, like, they're the only ones that are going to have the answer to that. So it's, yeah. that's, I mean, when you have 12 half siblings, well, at least from, this is me, when you, you know, I saw, I have 12 half siblings. I yeah. instantly go, how, yeah. how? So it was, it was a decently, it was a decently long pause. Okay. Um, yeah. And my mom said, there may have been some sperm mixing. Oh boy. And I said, may have been? <laughs> Like what, what is that? This you know, point, like did what is they that? Know, did, had they admitted to themselves that you were indeed, uh, that it was that you were the product of this, of the donor sperm and not your dad's sperm? I don't know. I don't you know. You don't know if they had, I'm not sure. If they had just maybe were pretending to themselves too. And just said it. I'm not sure. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure at that point, like what they were thinking, mm-hmm. um, or if they had even thought about it in the last 30 plus years of my life. Like I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what was going on through their heads. Mm-hmm. But like during that call, maybe that's something I need to dive into with that mm-hmm. um, someday. But um, yeah, I mean, my mom just sort of basically said, you know, um, you know, you know, your dad had um, some low sperm and the, the clinic suggested um, mixing donor sperm because it like would help the, you know, the other sperm along. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, you know, that was a very common, common practice in the eighties and a common thing that 
doctors told patients, Mm -hmm. um, but has no scientific evidence Mm -hmm. of actually being effective. Sure. It has some emotional, I guess, supports Mm -hmm. in it. Like if, if a prospective father is feeling, you know, right. Not like man enough to provide, um, the genetic material to Mm -hmm. make a child. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's the whole like sperm mixing thing is just a, a plethora of things. We could just go down oh, a whole, a whole like, yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely. But yeah. So that's, so that's, um, you know, it wasn't a very long conversation because um, essentially the answer was, I mean, essentially I got the answer. So the answer, and I don't even know that I like spelled out the answer my parents right then and there because I I do recall in later conversations just having to spell it out for them mm-hmm. um and I yeah I don't, don't think the conversation was long because it I mean at that I just I mean I knew that my dad wasn't my biological dad okay and that mm-hmm. I did it make sense to you did you have that moment where you're like okay yeah I get that maybe maybe now like um oh at the I mean at the time I was just, I mean, I was just devastated, like, and, and I was so, I was so angry because I, I went through so much and I was so open and so honest and I have been open and honest with my kids Mm -hmm. about how they were made. Like my kids, Mm -hmm. my kids know they were frozen. My daughter, when she was three, she asked me if she had ice powers. (laughs) She Mm -hmm. was frozen. Like Elsa. like. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like they, we celebrate their defrost days. Like we have popsicle parties for mm-hmm. their defrost days. Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, them being science babies, them being rainbow babies has been a part of their lives. Like I can't even imagine not telling my children that, but um, my children, I created my children not, not knowing my own genetics mm-hmm. um, or I, sorry, I guess I assumed my genetics and all of a sudden, like I've given my children a quarter of their genes that I know nothing about. Um, that was, I mean, that was really, that was really shocking. That was, I mean, that was so, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to describe that. Like it was mm-hmm. like, Devastating. And it was, yeah. And I mean, thinking about that, then thinking about again, that, that Ashkenazi Jewish percentage that I have every single fertility clinic you go to asks you if you have any Ashkenazi Jewish background, because they do extra screening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always checked no, because mm-hmm. I never knew. Mm-hmm. I never knew. Yeah. I mean, sure. I guess, I guess I had that, you know, in 2016 when it like the small amount came up, mm-hmm. but, but you um, thought it was a mistake. So yeah. I, was, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't thinking, I like, I was just like, oh, their systems have not yeah. processed everything fully yet. I, you know, mm-hmm. I knew I had a lot of German, I knew I had a lot of German heritage. So I was like, oh, okay, well, it could have just been a little bit confused, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. Um, but I don't know, you, you asked, let's see, you asked me if, if sort of things make sense. So, so now that I'm past the anger now, well, I, sorry, I'm not past the anger, sorry. On the days when I'm past the anger, <laughs> because here's the thing about finding out you're donor conceived when you're in your, in your thirties and, and uh, is it, it, the, your feelings about it change 
on a daily basis, mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. on an hourly basis, on mm-hmm. a on a basis of when you hear something about something and then it makes you think of something else. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, sorry, the days when I'm past the anger, <laughs> yeah. um, the days when I'm actually just thinking about like, you know, I, it's funny because I was, I was very, very, I mean, I was, I was very close with my, with my dad growing up. Like I, I think that my dad and I understood each other a lot better than my mom and I understood each other. It's, it's possible because my mom and I are like two alike in many ways that we, that we struggled and we still struggle, um, Mm -hmm. with communication and, and sharing, um, and I guess honesty now. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and, uh, but my dad and I were always like, we were always really close, but if, I mean, but if I look at it, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't see my features in him, you know? And I, and I didn't honestly see a lot of my features in my mom either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very, I'm, you know, there are a lot of features in my mom's family that I, you know, that are there. Like, so, it, you know, it's not like, oh, I guess my mom and I have the same we have the same little toe and my grandma also has the same little toe. That mm-hmm. sounds really, really mm-hmm. random, but like, mm-hmm. but that was the thing that I've known is like, Oh, I have this toe mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and we all have it and it matches, but there, yeah, I didn't have like, I, I don't know. I don't have a ton of things that like, and, and but not, there weren't, there weren't enough to be, to have I mean, again, it, it came as a total surprise to me that my dad was not my biological dad. Did you, did you wonder why she didn't tell you about this when you, as you were going through your infertility? I haven't, I haven't asked, but, um, I mean, in in another conversation, um, I mean, she did say that the doctors at the time just said, you don't tell the child, you don't tell it, you don't need to tell anyone. There's no need, you know, this is an anonymous situation. So I, you know, um, and again, with the sperm mixing, they make it this sort of ambiguous parentage where, um, you know, maybe my parents just I mean, I, I honestly think maybe my parents just wanted, they wanted to forget. No, they wanted to forget. Like they just wanted to forget that there was donor sperm involved. Same as deny. Like, I I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to directly like, you know, try to, you know, come up with what my parents are thinking, but that's, that's, I guess that's how I'm justifying it. You know, like how I'm, I'm justifying some of the way that they have reacted. Some of the way that they have spoken um, is that, is that I sort of um, like burst the bubble that was, you know, like that was just kind of dormant, right? It was like dormant. It wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be something that um, was going to be a problem. It was just going to be this, Mm -hmm. you know, secret, but not, I, you know, it's, I don't know that they ever would have considered it a secret. I think it was because again, I think, again, I think that they just assume, I mean, I am my father's child. Like that's, I may not be his genetically, but I'm my father's mm-hmm. child. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't want to speak for them. So like, I don't know. I don't know what actually has gone through their minds, but I, I don't know that it, I don't know that they thought about it a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that um, there's just a lot. Yeah. You're still, you're still figuring out, you're still trying to get to some, the truth and some information. I think that unknown, that, I don't know what they think. I don't know what, why they did it. And it, all that is so complicated to try to wrap your head around. And 
And, and I think I'm an advocate for talking for families and parents talking to their children about it, not just one time, not just telling them the w- once, but telling them and talking over and over throughout different developmental stages. And so the child knows that you know, you know where your mom and dad's head is on this topic, um, that there's, you know, an openness there and that, you know, you have those answers. Like I did know, you know, about my mom endometriosis. Like I did know about their infertility issues. So I did know about that. I just didn't, I just didn't know the whole story. And, um, my, my mom especially is somebody that listens to authority figures. So again, if a doctor told her like, this is, there's no reason to, to, you know, this is anonymous. There's, you cannot, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't tell anyone. Um, you know, if that was in her head, like that, um, at some point, like that's, she followed the rule. They did what they were told. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can honestly tell you if my, reproductive endocrinologist had ever said to me, like in the, in, you know, in the, like going into the IVF process or whatever. And we were very fortunate that in our IVF process that like, um, you know, we, you know, I had, I had a great egg retrieval and my husband's sperm was fine. But if we had had those issues, if we had had sperm or egg issues and the reproductive endocrinologist said like, you know, you know, we're going to have to recommend that you use donor because you don't have eggs or you don't have sperm or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell you even 11 years ago, I don't know that I would have like, I, I just would have taken that as the next step in the process. Mm-hmm. That's what most people do. Mm-hmm. I honestly would not have considered the ramifications mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what choosing mm-hmm. a donor means for my child. Because I mean, again, when you are infertile, like, and you're going to an infertility doctor because you want a baby and they're going to do whatever it takes to get you a baby. And you're going to do whatever it takes to get you a baby. Yeah. And people do tell that, share that with me all the time. They come back later and say, you know, I was so focused on getting a baby, but now my child is four or five, six, and I'm struggling and I didn't deal or think about these issues. And that's okay. I mean, that happens. That's why we, I want people to know there's resources there for yeah. them to continue to work on that. And I'm happy when they come back and say, I want to work on this now. Yeah. Cause that's a good thing. You know, they, there's plenty of time still to work through it. So totally, obviously, ideally what I would like to do is, is, you know, be able to talk to infertile couples before they make the decision. Right. Like, absolutely. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. Like, yeah. In, well, like infertile couples would have like a sense of, of, you know, what, what it actually means to, to be donor conceived when you're that's right. Yeah. That's not, right. not a, not just a baby, not, right. not just a, a embryo or not just a, you know, fetus, not just yep. a tiny baby anymore. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what it means to be donor conceived when you're two and three and four and five and six and like what that means and how that changes yeah, as, as a teenager. And, and here's the other thing mm-hmm. is like all donor conceived and what I'm realizing from the last, you know, uh, eight, eight, nine months of, of being, involved and meeting other donor can see people and talking with other donor can see people is, um, and talking with my half siblings, um, which has just been, I, I could go on for days about that. Um, you know, but, um, it is amazing how different donor can see people process things and how differently they handle, um, finding out, um, you know, mm-hmm. I definitely have half siblings that have known for years and have never talked to their parents about it. Whereas I basically, as soon as I realized it was real five minutes later, I was on the phone with my parents, like, you know, 
know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, we, we all, so the thing is, is, is if you have a donor conceived child, you also, there's also no way to predict what their feelings are going to be and the range of those feelings too, right? That's so right. Mm-hmm. there's a huge spectrum of donor conceived people that are really interested in finding out about their genetics and their donor and wanting to mm-hmm. see people that look like them and interested in their half siblings. And then there's people that are less interested, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it, right. And there it's very much like depends on the stage. It can change over time. So they may be not interested now, but 10 years from now, they might be very interested. So it doesn't, it doesn't stay static. It's very, it, it's ever evolving and changing. And that's what we have. To, we want parents to know is a lot of times parents think, well, okay, if I just, if I tell my child they're donor conceived when they're young, does that mean everything's going to be okay? Maybe. And we're not going to have any challenges, right? And yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, we don't know that we don't know. And, and, and that's, and I guess that by asking that question, you know, you kind of get a glimpse in on their fears. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I go to. It's like, okay, well, you know what, what are you afraid isn't going to be okay? You know, what do you feel like you can't mm-hmm. handle right now? Mm-hmm. And I think the hardest thing that parents struggle with is, you know, we can, they can deal with the, the, all the, you know, social challenges that may come up or questions from other people. There's, there's a lot of sort of practical answers you can have for that. But the hardest thing that they deal with is guilt. And they say, well, what I caused this, I created these challenges for my ch- child and I did not know mm-hmm. how hard this was going to be, or I didn't know that they might feel this way. And I feel like, why did I do this? You know, why did I bring and I mean, this. I mean, parental guilt is our parental guilt is already raw. Sure is. Like, it's already, <laughs> yeah. like as a uh-huh. as a parent, as a parent, it's just like you get you get like handed this card, this like guilt card. No, like, it's always it's always it's know, there it's, no matter what. And so having have that this, extra, have, yeah, the more layers that you pile on top of it, it's I I mean, it, it doesn't help things. That's for sure. I mean, I, guilt is guilt is one of those emotions that usually doesn't serve us well. It usually um, creates more problems for us and ways that we deal with guilt is to deny them, deny guilty mm-hmm. feelings because they feel so terrible. They just feel terrible. Mm-hmm. So we deny them. And then when we deny them, we project, we, we have all kinds of defense mechanisms that we then start <laughs> to do. Yeah. So that's what, um, that's what we want to guard against. Well, no, that's the opposite. We don't want to guard against defense mechanisms. That's like a double negative. We want to, you know, <laughs> we want to be aware of that and be able to, to be empowered mm-hmm. and to recognize that there are things that you can do and I, I, that's my message is there are things that you can do to help your child, to help your family, to, you know, be a happy and healthy family, no matter how you were formed. What's so interesting actually about speaking with you who, um, who has kind of, um, you know, had, you've had, so you've had like a specialization and kind of adoption issues. So this is, this is like coming from this, like, mm-hmm. um, I don't, I don't know if I can say clinical standpoint, like, or, or, or psychological standpoint, it is so interesting mm-hmm. to see, mm-hmm. to see that. Cause now I'm kind of putting those, those psychological pieces together for my story. Like the, you know, the, who felt what, what felt, you know, and, mm-hmm. and even like, you know, the pieces of what the rest of my life is going to look like as a donor conceived person. And um, right mm-hmm. now I am, I'm not public about being donor conceived. I, I started my Instagram. So I had an anonymous place mm-hmm. to share. Um, uh, and I, and I do want to be public, but I know it comes with when you are public, when you are open, when you are transparent and honest, it leaves you vulnerable to, to hurt. And, yes. um, mm-hmm. 
And, Mm -hmm. and it also, I, again, I fear hurting my parents as well, because at the end of the day, like, like I want to preserve the relationship that my children have with their grandparents. And I want to fight to get to a better place in my relationship with my parents where I can speak openly and not be Mm -hmm. afraid of them getting hurt in the process. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly, you say what so many people, adoptees and donor conceived people say is that they feel this loyalty toward their parents and they feel torn. I mean, you're managing their emotions about it in a way. And yeah. And you're managing family, your own, you're you're protecting yourself too. And and your relationship with your parents, because you don't want to, you don't want to damage that. That's, that's your, those are your parents. Well, in so many ways, they, they damaged their relationship with me by not telling me something so fundamental about myself. Exactly. Because they didn't have the resources to, to know how to do it better because they were told to do it a different way because they just, there were so many things they didn't it, know. Yeah, Maybe yeah, intuitively yeah. there was something right. that was nudging at them to tell, but they right. just didn't have the skills. And that's what parents need is they need the skills, they need the language, they need, you know, sort of just instruction. But um, I think that you really, what this really plays into yeah. well is this question about, you know, and I know that we are donor conceived yeah. probably has some more recent data on this, although they did a survey in 2020. Oh yeah. yeah. They had, they had a survey. Um, yeah. And that was just as I found out. So I felt like I was too fresh. To, yeah. I didn't even participate in that survey. Cause I was like, I am too, I am brand new. Like, It's really interesting. And anybody's <laughs> listening, please go check it out. Um, we are donor conceived.com. All I can, I have quoted in my book in 2001. So I mean, that's a long time ago now we're talking 20 years, but that it showed 50% of donor conceived adults, which may be more now, uh, reported that they wanted, when they were younger, they wanted to talk to their parents about mm-hmm. their donor, but only a third of them did. And so I was like, yeah. you know, you really, some of the things you've pointed pointed to kind of speak to why a donor conceived individual wouldn't yeah. want to bring up their donor to their, their mom and dad. Um, is that, you know, that feeling of loyalty, that feeling of not wanting to damage the relationship that, you know, protecting their feelings. Like how much of that is personality type and how much of that is, um, yeah. Cause like in the same way that as donor conceived adults, we do or do not talk to our parents about it, um, or feel comfortable talking to our parents about it. Um, you know, yeah. How much of that is, is based on our own personalities, um, you know, does it make me, do I care about my parents less because I was inquisitive and I wanted to know right away? Like I wasn't as, you know, gentle with their feelings on it, or I wasn't, I don't know. Or do you have a more, do you have a safe relationship with them where you trusted that you weren't going to be, you know, stonewalled or rejected, or it wasn't going to damage the relationship in such a way that it couldn't be recovered from. Maybe you trusted that it would be okay. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's not, you know, we have this, I have this talk all the time with parents where they say, I am, I am terrified. My child is going to say, you're not my real mom or dad. You know, if we tell them they're going to conceive that they're going to tell me that. And I, and I tell them we'll expect it, you know, that way, if they do, then you're ready for it. Don't adopt adoptees, like open adoptees. I'm sure. I mean, like, Oh my gosh, when you're a teen, you're a teenager, you come up with the worst stuff to tell your parents. Like there's like, it's, I mean, like, even if you're not like, you're, you know, like, was I adopted? You know, like, I, I'm sure I like 
I, I don't actually know that I shouted that as a teen, but I shouted a lot of really not nice things as a teen. And, and you know, and honestly, I think what it comes down to probably for young children, and again, I don't want to assume because I did not know as a young child, is how did your parent react the last time you talked about it? You know, like if the conversation was easy and it was just matter of fact and it was a normal mm-hmm. conversation, they're going to feel safe to bring it up again. But if the parent gets, if the parent gets nervous, I mean, like, your kids mm-hmm. can read your emotions so, true. so well, <laughs> um, you know, if the parents get, yeah. gets nervous, if they have Absolutely. anxiety when they're talking about it, if they're, you know, if they're a little bit guarded or if there's a little bit of shame in there, if there's a little bit of, mm-hmm. you know, their infertility trauma coming through that they haven't mm-hmm. dealt with. Hello. Yeah. I'm also a person. Exactly. That my infertility it's, trauma, so it's not a fun, not a real fun thing. It's not a fun thing to deal with, but it's one of those things that I will, that's a, that's a list on my therapy to-do list mm-hmm. after I get through this whole recovery of, you know, yeah. being donor conceived. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's there. It's, you know, even after you have, even after you're, let's say, quote unquote, successful with, after you have mm-hmm. a baby after infertility, the infertility trauma doesn't go away. It's still, it's still there and it can impact stuff in your parenting. It can just show up. But your kids, your kids, your kids catch it. Your kids know what's going on. Uh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They do. And I talk about that, that grief time travels, yeah. so time travels because through families because mm-hmm. infertility grief, infertility trauma, you know, I had secondary infertility, so I had that as well. And then adopting and having that, um, and then being adopted myself. Yeah. So it's like kind of adoptive parent, adoptee, infertility. So it's like three things and all of that. Because I was, it was so, mm-hmm. um, I, I was quickened almost in this experience with gr- the grief around because it was so compounded. So that enabled me to really deep dive deep mm-hmm. into the emotions mm-hmm. and feelings mm-hmm. of grief and to work through it. Cause it was either make or break, you know, if you, if you, it, it mm-hmm. breaks you or, or you can, or you learn to get through it. And that's what it yeah. eventually brought me to this work was because I was very alone during that time. And it, you know, it was really, really, really difficult. And there was a lot of things that I felt and, and I knew other people felt the same things, you know, being able to transition and to help those who are donor conceived was, is important to me because I know so much of what they're feeling and going through Sorry, as an adoptee myself. And then, and to be able to convey this to the parent, I also understand their infertility um, in a way that gives them hope, you know, and gives them some skills to work on and some actual practical things to do. It seems like there is like, and what I didn't realize is there's so much like, like overlapping with adoption trauma and donor conception trauma. What was happening is early on, I think I, I didn't, I said this in a podcast before, but I don't know if it made the cut. Basically that parents would come in to me and talk to me and I was an adoption counselor first. And then I switched over, started seeing more and more third party. And they came to me and they said, we're going to use donor conception, but we are not going to adopt. We are adamantly against adopting. And so of course they wanted to keep their donor conception a secret because Mm -hmm. they didn't want to have a different child. Well, the pressure that puts on the child to be the person this, they were, you know, the, the parents need them to be instead of who they, the person that they are. So it was really, um, you know, at first I had to really kind of be tender and try to figure out like, Hey, what is it about adoption? You know, and if it's the trauma piece, I get that, but if it's the genetic piece and that you don't like that they're different, well then we let's, we got some work to do, you know? And that's, that, that was basically how the book came about. Your donor conceived child is going to, is going to be different. (laughs) Yeah. And so they can't deny that difference. Can you tell me again, when did you write your book? 2018. 
Okay. So you've, so you've been learning about donor conceived issues for since 2010. Since mm-hmm. tw- so, okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Cause this is, um, this is such, so interesting to me because I have been looking for, um, a therapist myself, but it's so hard to find therapists that, mm-hmm. um, directly have experience with donor conceived issues because it's, again, mm-hmm. it was just something that wasn't talked about for so long. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, is. um, mm-hmm. but new people are, are, and now that DNA tests are so accessible, um, you know, we get like, I, I had another sibling connection, you know, two, three weeks ago. Like it's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, and I do help. Yeah. I help donor conceive individuals before they connect with a donor, um, to prepare for that, or just help them through the okay. process of trying to sort through the pieces of the, the kind of the shattered pieces that, that, that they feel like this fall around the map when they find out their donor conceived, trying to put it all back together, figure out who they yeah. are and, and what everything means. And yeah, it was, so I had a, I had a therapist. Um, I actually had a therapist during the pandemic and then I decided to switch therapists and and, um, and so this new therapist is so sweet. I had emailed her cause I was like ready to deal with my, I was ready to tackle my infertility trauma. Like I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna tackle like all of the, you know, of the mm-hmm. grief that I kind of suppressed the, like all the miscarriage mm-hmm. grief that I suppressed. I was like, I was like, we're gonna, we're gonna break it all open. We have, we know we have time. It's a pandemic. Like I have some time to process and deal and journal and all this stuff. And I had like I had this like great plan and I like told her all, all these things. And then, um, the day before I met with her the first time was when I opened up 23 and me. And, uh, so after that, after, I think it was, it was like later in the evening of, you know, discovering I was donor conceived and falling down the rabbit hole of Googling every single person I matched with on 23 me. And da, 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 I sent her, I sent her an email and I was like, so you know all about that stuff that we were talking about. Let's just scrap all that because I just found yeah. out my biological dad. We're gonna so have we're to deal with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she's been fan, like she's Good. been phenomenal, and she hasn't, she didn't have any experience oh, with, yeah. with donor conceived people before this. Um, and uh, and and it's just been, it's been such a relief to have someone to that, like a therapist that has just that I've really, really clicked with. That's Good. just been able to kind of like walk me through some of the some of the things that have come up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fantastic. So that's I'm awesome. I I I really love therapy. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> thank you for thank you for the work you do. Oh man, I appreciate. I love it. It's it's my passion. You know. I think I think I would have a. I think I could really see myself. Actually, I think I could really see myself as a therapist, and that's like that's something I definitely after finding out I was donor conceived is something that I like even of course, cause I had a career crisis as well. Cause when you're having an identity crisis, it just like spirals into everything. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And so ther- therapy got thrown on my list. Cause I was like, this would just be to be able to help other people. Um, especially since there's just not as many resources for donor conceived individuals as I think there should be out there. Um, and again, I guess that's why I started my Instagram is cause I, I needed, like, I knew I needed a space that I could, um, to, to, you know, do whatever I could to, you know, raise awareness of, of the roller coaster of emotions and raise awareness of, of the stories mm-hmm. that are out there. Um, cause I think it's so important for, for these secrets that were, have been secret for so long to, to really be more, be more visible there, you know, there's, there's no, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. have any shame in being donor conceived. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it is definitely a, 
experience to um, find out as a late, you know, a late discovery person. But um, I mean, I guess the biggest gift in it for me was, um, was connecting with my siblings so far. I mean, that's, I mean, mm-hmm. I just cannot even imagine my life without the ones that I'm close with now. Um, and I, I mm-hmm. like, I even have some really weird yeah. grief I'm dealing with about like that we have, we have all this like lost mm-hmm. time that we like never, like we didn't know. And, and potentially I could have not, potentially I could have not known them for many more years. Like, and we are, our group may have siblings out there that don't, I mean, it's sorry, it's very likely we have siblings out there that don't know yet. So I have this grief for like mm-hmm. people that are living mm-hmm. their lives that like are my people, but like, I don't know them. They don't know me, you know, like I, my heart is already with them, you know, because there's pieces of me that are in them, which is, I don't know, that's, that's a little mind blowing to me. Sorry. It's, it gets really like, you know, where, where you're just, where it's just, mm-hmm. it's so complex yeah. because as a, as a recipient parent, are you thinking about like, you know, your child has, has half siblings out there. Like how, how are they going to manage those relationships when they're older? Like if, if, so if they want, if they want those relationships, you know, um, and they're excited about those relationships, yeah. how, how are their, how are their siblings going to react to it? So what if their siblings don't want to have relationships with them? How will that make them feel? I mean, there's mm-hmm. just, Yeah. These are conversations I have with parents all the time when they're preparing to go through. So, yeah. And, you know, I love that you brought up the gift because one thing that I've learned through just all the adoption research and is I learned that one thing that we do gain from that as adoptees and donor conceived people is that we can learn to merge two opposing ideas that seem to be in conflict with each other or seem to be Um, very different. You know, what you gain from that is this ability to think of two things and know that they're both true at the same time. uh, And for you as a donor conceived person, there's this idea is that this donor just wanted money and they gave their sperm away. And then there's another idea. Oh, it was a, it was a nice lady, a angel lady that gave up her eggs and made this miracle happen. So which one is it? Well, guess what? It's right. both, you know, it's both. And that's what dialectical thinking is, is, and that's what our country is not doing a good job at right now, <laughs> you know, is that we can't see that two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Um, two different things can be true at the same time, but that is the fifth stage of thinking, the most advanced stage. And that is what we have as donor conceived people and as adoptees. What's really interesting is I remember writing this letter to my daughter on her first birthday um, and it, the, the letter was, I mean, this is something I learned when I became her parent, that I can feel two things, I can feel two things concurrently that are contradicting with each other. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, like that was, it took me becoming a parent to learn that. So yep. it's, um, yeah, like as an infertile couple, like as an infertile person, I didn't have, like, I didn't have that capability to hold those those, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's super, that's super, super interesting. And the same thing applies to your life now as a donor conceived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you, you, you can develop it, but, but it, like I said, donor conceived people and adoptees, they, they learn to do it because they're born with those, they're born with the paradox. They're born with the dichotomy. I don't, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know that I, except for me learning of the I learned it at an advanced age. If you know you're adopted, if you know you're donor conceived from the beginning, 
you have the ability to, and I'm not saying everybody does. Some people might still might become very black and white. You know, it's like this way or that way. And that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, if you get to that place where you're exploring those tensions and you're trying to reconcile it, eventually what you find is that you can, you can hold the tension of those two opposing things and you can, and you can accept it. And there's peace in that. Oh, okay. So like, let's, let's go with the, let's go with the acceptance. When does the acceptance part come in again? Well, after, after you process, <laughs> yeah. After you do the processing that this is your story and after you accept that this is your story. Yeah. With my infertility, it was, it just like, obviously I wasn't, I wasn't able to share the first time around just because I just didn't. Yeah. It takes time. It's too, I don't know. It was, it was a lot. It was a lot. Like when you're first going through it and, and again, nobody, I mean, nobody was talking about those. There was still nobody talking yeah, about it. Yeah. I know. 10 years, 10 years <laughs> ago. Right. Like it was still, you know, but I, but I knew after going through it and after, after being successful again, we're putting my success in quotes, like having my daughter, um, it was, it was easier. It was easier to, to be open with it. And I thought, and I, and I believed it was my responsibility to, to be open with, with, because I, again, I wanted I wanted people to know, like, I wanted no- people to know about, uh, again, like, it's just, just destigmatizing infertility, destigmatizing science to, to make, to make a, to help, to help you make a baby. Um, and, and, and miscarriage as well. I mean, that, that was a huge, a huge piece of my story. And, you know, so many people feel so much shame with miscarriage and so much, um, you know, there's just so much that goes, that ties into that as well and loss and grief and and destigmatizing donor conception because destigmatizing it helps families heal because you can they can talk about it without shame without secrecy yeah i can see i can see it from that way but that is that is that's I, like my brain is not quite wrapping itself around like the phrase of destigmatizing donor conception because it's because for me it I want to share my, I mean, I want to share my story, not to destigmatize donor conception, but to, to share that honesty is like honesty to your children. Like that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a fundamental right for your children to know their genetic history. It's a fundamental right for your children to know that they're not going to accidentally date a half sibling. Um, It's a fundamental right. That you can't, you can't be honest about donor conception if you can't talk about it in the first place. Yeah, it's such a it's, secret yeah, it's, it's and a so point. stigmatized that you can't even talk about it with your kids, that no one knows what it is and it's yeah. kind of shameful and ooh, that's weird. You used a donor, like, don't talk about that. Don't share with your friends. I guess, yeah, I guess the industry, the industry of like the eighties and the nineties and even, I mean, even obviously anonymous donation is still going on today. Like it's there and anything that has to do with like, with the secrecy and then the anonymous factor is, is you're saying that this is, I know to me, that feels like you're saying this is a shameful thing. This is something I, I should be ashamed of. This is something that like is a secret. And the donor conception field did exactly what the adoption field did. It's supposed to be secret. You're supposed to not tell anybody they were adopted. And then they realized that was not a good idea. That was backfiring and causing mm-hmm. all kinds of problems. So they began to open up and tell parents in the seventies that no, you should tell your child they were adopted. And so they, parents began to do that. And then now it's leaning. Now most adoptions are more open. And so that I see that donor conception made the exact same mistakes that the adoption field did. It started out as a secret and told every, the parents to keep it a secret. And that caused a lot of problems. And now Mm -hmm. 
Um, now we're, I see it, hopefully it will follow the path, path of adoption where it's access to genetic information is, mm-hmm. is there and that donor can see people are allowed to know who they are genetically from the beginning. And so it's just learning from, from the adoption field, what's yeah. good for kids. And I think that, yeah, I think that directly applies to donor conceived children as well. It's, it's, it's essential. It's essential for kids to know these things. Like it's, it's essential. It's essential for grownups to know these things about themselves, right? Like yeah. So that's the goal ultimately is to open. I mean, I got, I got scared. I got scared. My husband, I got scared. My husband could be my half brother. I mean, I know like we don't even look alike. Like it's, but there was this, I know it's I kept a having, moment. I kept it's, having yeah. these like nightmares that like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, and we, I made him take a DNA test Did you? <laughs> and we're not related, um, but, um, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, one of my half siblings and I lived, yeah, we lived in the same town for five years. So another half sibling and I lived in the same town for yeah, four or five years. Yeah. So, I mean, we definitely overlapped in cities. Like we're, mm-hmm. all of us are really quite spread out now. Um, but, um, there was, there, there's definitely been overlap where we lived in the same cities. So it's just weird to think about. And, um, now our most recent match, um, there's a, I don't, I don't want to say too much, but there's a, it's very easy to look them up our recent match. And, um, I had, and this is going to sound, again, this is going to sound really weird because I like, I don't know how to exactly describe it, but so our most recent match, I had seen them before. And I, when I had seen them before, I did not know that I had no idea that they were my half sibling. How, like, how bizarre is that? Like, it's just, it's just, and, and to think about also uh, my parents' donor has likely seen their biological kid before that's has crazy. very likely seen their biological mm-hmm. kid before had and has had no idea that that's their biological. Mm-hmm. Kid. It's just I don't know. It's all, it's all just, it's it's all a little yeah. mind blowing, right? It's all a little just like how is this even possible? How are these decisions that people made, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, 30, 40 years ago? How how are they coming around to this? You know, <laughs> who who would have ever thought? that this is where we would be. Right. Well, B, thanks for sharing your story. And how can people get in touch with you? People are welcome to message me um, at Inconceivable on Instagram. And, um, you know, I'm always open, always open to, to answer what I can. And um, I'm really hoping that I can get more resources out there for uh, more donor-conceived voices to come forward. And um, just like really reach couples who are considering donor conception to, you know, to sort out. Yeah. Like what, what do donor conceived adults wish that they knew as children? What, what, is it, what do they wish they knew as children? How do they wish they were told? How do they wish, you know, uh, what would the ideal scenario be, right? Like for them. So I think that those are, those are the stories I think that like infertile couples who are trying to make this decision need to hear it too is is because uh, yeah it's and I, I mean I was there it's it was the next step in my process like it was the next step in in it would have been the next step in the in our process like it, and I would have mm-hmm. done it without hesitation and and you know what is what uh, is is it the fertility clinic's responsibility to 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 explain this. Like I, in some ways I think it is like, and I, and I don't know if, if now things have changed in the fertility clinics, like if they are 
offering any sort of resources or if they're literally just offering it as the next scientific step in your fertility journey. I don't know. I guess it just depends on the clinic. Well, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine recommends that their doctors send their patients to counseling prior to third-party reproduction. So, but there is no, you know, that's that's a, a suggestion. It's a recommendation, but it's not enforced, and not uh, all clinics aren't doing it. Yeah, and that's what you know. Again, it's like coming together is about mm-hmm. having starting to have a, a standard that. And I, I think it, it starts with parent education. It starts with um, listening to each other, listening to donor-conceived voices, and um, you know, continuing to learn. So, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of places we can go from here. Yeah. So, thank you again. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you to everyone who participated in international, the very first International Donor Conception Awareness Day. If you want to give feedback for next year, you can go to my Instagram profile and there's a bunch of links in the bio and you can give your feedback in written form or you can record a voice message. And if you record a voice message, I will share my response and other experts' response on this podcast. And I will also share in stories. So be sure you're following in both places. And, and a quick announcement that my audiobook, which you know was just recently released, is on sale with Apple Play and Google Play for 25% off or more right now. But that sale ends on May 6th of 2021. So you definitely want to get that while you can, especially if you're in other countries that you don't have access to the, the book in print. And finally, if you are interested in parent workshops to learn more about how to prepare for donor conception, then go to the link in my bio as well and sign up and subscribe for the newsletter so you're the first to find out. You can also, I'm going to put that in the um, notes here at the bottom of the podcast as well. All right, guys, thanks for listening. And we will be back again soon um, with another great guest. 